Welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Jeff Kanata, and with me is... Mr. Hardwar. And you may notice that we are without our intrepid host, Dave Chen, once again this week. But fear not, because replacing him, nay, improving upon him in every conceivable way, <laughs> is uh, a fantastic guest, a freelance writer for Slash Film, Thrillist, and Nerdist, one of our favorite people, Lindsay Romaine is back with the Slash Film cast. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. <laughs> well, we have a another full boat tonight. We have two full movie reviews, as we did last time. Uh, it is that time of year where, where the, the movies are coming hot and heavy, and we didn't want to miss either of these films. We will be doing full reviews of First Man and Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, both movies came out this week, and we didn't want to give short shrift to either because I think I, both of them are uh, pretty juicy discussions. Mm-hmm. So uh, that will be the sum total of the show this week. Um, you can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails. Uh, we usually answer those on the show as well. Not time this week for that kind of thing, but we do want to thank our subscribers, people that have supported the show, uh, you can donate to the show by clicking on the donation button at slashfilm.com. Uh, our donor, Adam Steen, this week donated to the show. And we have subscribers at the rate of $2 per month, uh, Matthew A's, Jeffrey Grubb, and Kimley Smith. Thank you so much for your donations. It helps us make this show and do what we do. All right, uh, without further ado, let's jump into our first review for First Man. Are you sure? Yeah. Be an adventure. First man to walk on the moon. That'd be something. We've chosen a job so difficult, requiring so many technological developments. We are going to have to start from scratch. First Man is the new film from Damien Chazelle. It stars Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, and Jason Clark. It tells the story of uh, the first mission to the moon, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and the group. It really focuses, of course, on Neil Armstrong. The IMDb description says, a look at the life of the astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969. This is a uh, a big sprawling film. I had a chance to see it in IMAX. Did either of you guys see it in IMAX as well? Oh yes, I did not. I saw it in regular format. Mm. So, well, there are scenes shot on IMAX cameras, and I think uh, it really makes use of IMAX in a really spectacular way, in a very uh, pointed way. Uh, it's certainly a, a film that deserves to be seen on a big, big screen, in my opinion. Uh, but let's start. With, uh, with, let's start with you, Devendra. Talk to me about the IMAX experience. Talk to me mm-hmm. about your experience with First Man. What did you think of it? Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I, let me just set this up. I'm a huge fan of Damien Chazelle. I, I think, um, it started for me, uh, when I saw a little movie called, uh, Grand Piano. And I'd recommended it to everybody. It is a awesome little thriller starring Elijah Wood. 
And uh, John Cusack has a sniper point in his head and he has to play the piano or otherwise uh, his wife dies. Uh, Damien Chazelle wrote that movie. And after that, I was like, who is this guy? What is he doing? Then he did Whiplash. And I was like, yes, I'm hooked. I, w- I will follow this guy to the ends of the earth. And I really enjoyed La La Land. Um, for me, though, um, you know, I enjoyed this movie. I think it may be my least favorite of his works, um, perhaps because he didn't write this. I know um, this is coming off of a, another script. Um, and I think like the movie, when it focuses on Neil Armstrong, when it focuses on his family life and uh, we get to a spectacular sequence towards the end, uh, as you, you'd expect what that is. Um, and that's fully IMAX. Um, you know, I, I think that's where it works best. And seeing this movie in IMAX is certainly a revelation. I tweeted after this movie, um, you know, when the IMAX range opens up, it is sort of like uh, in an EDM song when the beat drops. (laughs) You're waiting for that moment. Like, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? And, uh, you know, I wanted to cheer, except in this one, it's uh, probably not a sequence where you should cheer. Um, Yeah. So the IMAX experience is great. Uh, I'm sure it would play well in a normal scene, like screen two. Uh, but I think like Interstellar, I also saw that in IMAX and just, you know, seeing imagery like this, you know, huge vistas uh, really fits that screen very well. Uh, but yeah, overall, I'm not as hot on this movie as like some of his others. I think towards the middle, uh, it kind of loses itself in terms of like what the journey is. Uh, and the thing is, like Neil Armstrong, the way he's being played by Gosling, and I hear this is very true to life. He's a very, like, you know, he's a very stoic guy. He doesn't really say much. And it's really of that generation, from what I hear. Um, you know, people just doing, you know, amazing things and not really making a big deal about it and not really showing their emotions. So that really is tough to translate, I think, to the screen sometimes. Lindsay, the first mission to the moon is certainly not uncharted territory cinematically. We've seen lots of movies, well, not lots, but several movies take. Yeah take that journey. Uh, how do you think first man sits alongside that cinematic history of, of chronicling the path to the moon? Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel a little bit bummed out that I didn't see it on IMAX. I, you know, know that that probably is the way to experience it. Um, I will say I am someone who gets a little queasy from IMAX and a little overwhelmed from it sometimes. Um, it just kind of triggers a certain amount of anxiety for me, to be honest. So part of the choice to see it in standard was kind of that, Um, but I kind of went into this movie. I had no real interest in it. I also really liked Damien Chazelle, but I felt like I had heard kind of mixed things. It wasn't high on my radar. And I think maybe having low expectations made me really like this movie a lot more than I was expecting to. Um, I, I feel like I just kind of, I like that it took the emotional approach more than the kind of historical approach. I mean, obviously it's still very historical. It tracks the whole entire mission, But I like that so much of it feels like a movie through this man's perspective and chooses the way it chooses what to include and what to exclude, I think is really fascinating and allowed me to kind of better connect with it. I felt really emotional by the time it was over. Mm. Um, I, yeah, it just, it touched me in a way I wasn't quite expecting it to. And I think that made me like it maybe a little bit more than Devendra. Um, But I do agree that it's a little shaggy. I think kind of the middle section is pretty long and could have been trimmed down a little bit. Um, and it's starting to lose me also there a little bit, but yeah, it kind of, it brought me home by the end. I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I kind of found it that way too, by the way, like by the time you get to the big climax and everything, and there's a nice little emotional core towards the end, uh, that really got me back into the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do think the movie finishes strong, especially in IMAX. I mean, it is, it's quite a thing. Uh, and we'll talk about it in spoilers directly. But um, I was very surprised by this movie. I, I think this is, uh, this is space exploration as a horror film. Yes. It, it really, it's, it's not something that you usually see from this subject matter you usually it's usually wrapped in sort of jingoistic mm -hmm. aspirational wish fulfillment you know this idea of looking up at the sky and conquering the, the moon and america said we're gonna do it and then we did a lot you know the right stuff does that uh, even apollo 13 about a different mission has that feeling of sort of flag waving um aspirational, mm -hmm. joyous, Armageddon, heroic. let's not forget. <laughs> Armageddon, yes. The other historical space exploration he drama. saved our lives, okay? <laughs> be nothing by now. Right. But, I mean, I think that this moment in, in American history is, you know, it, it represents the best and the brightest minds. It represents a level of heroism that uh, that is is admirable and always makes you feel sort of proud as a, as an American that we did this even when those of us all of us here weren't alive when it happened even mm -hmm. growing up knowing that it happened and all of the the cinema that has tackled that has taken that approach this movie doesn't this this feels like it 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 captures the terrible horror of it and there is this pall of death that hangs over the entire film both personally with neil armstrong's family but also the idea of like lives were sacrificed at the altar of this goal you know men died to get to to the moon it, and it is mm -hmm. a movie that really forces you to reckon with that and as a result it is a very melancholy terrifying experience i mean it it portrays the the feeling of even attempting to get out of our atmosphere as being this violent horrifying thing and as a result you know it, i don't think the movie is fun it, it is it's an experience but it yeah, is yeah. uh it, it's it's uncomfortable um and i think that's by design but it also made for a viewing experience that, that is not enjoyable. And as you guys said, in the middle, it just – it is so morose and so plodding and, and committed to its sort of pace of death. <laughs> you know, it's like a, a slow death march of a movie for so long before it even allows any glimmer of feeling uh, happy. You know, there is and, – and for all accounts, I guess Neil Armstrong really was that kind of a guy. He was yeah, sort of a yeah. uh, straight-laced – you know, no nonsense fella. But, you know, there's Buzz Aldrin is in this movie too. And I felt like I just kind of want to hang out with him, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> I wonder how Buzz would feel about that portrayal of him. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd probably punch someone in the nose. Exactly. <laughs> I, like what, I like what you were saying, Jeff, about the horror thing. Because there were actually moments in this film where I was expecting like a jump scare mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. So the sound will drop out or just the, the tension will kind of reach this point where you're literally almost expecting something to like <laughs> jump into frame or, or something to happen. That's yeah. It felt a lot like that to me as you well. Know, it's funny. I even had a moment <laughs> where I, I, I mean, I, I knew this movie was about history, but I thought if this movie swerves and we're in like a science fiction tale all of a sudden, and it's like, what if Neil Armstrong met an alien? I, I kind of wouldn't be surprised that, you know, this movie I, like, I would love for Damien Chazelle to make that movie for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the horror, the horror thing really comes in because it's really 
What I I saw the test uh, like the IMAX sample I think before was it Mission Impossible or something, mm-hmm. um, and like what struck me there and throughout the entire film is like a lot of the sequences are really claustrophobic, right? When you're just stuck in a tin can and you just hear noise and lights and stuff is happening and you're dealing with old fashioned dials and you have to deal with like math to figure out where you are, uh, you don't have GPS, you don't have like you know sophisticated radar. It's just a tin can and math. And you and, can't move. Yeah. Like the guy, they're stuck in place. They're in these horrible suits that restrict their movement. And it's like, that's a vision of hell. I mean, that is a horrifying way to go if you go, you know? Yeah. I'm someone that has terrible claustrophobia. So this movie was extremely uncomfortable for me it's in a few parts, particularly. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And, and the sound and, design is so good. It really like it gets that sense of like, oh, man, just chaos all around you. This yeah. It's like rat- stuff's rattling. It sounds like it's coming yeah. apart all the time. Yeah. You know, these things are slamming and banging. It's like this violent act to break away from Earth. Mm-hmm. And the movie also seems to be obsessed with little details. You know, the, the camera is always finding tiny little details in the, in, in the inside the spaceship or someone's yeah. hand or, you know, like a little uh, piece of construction that's been made or, and, and it's a, such an interesting way to ground that experience in this very human thing of like, no, a human being built this and screwed it together. And these people are relying on that to not kill them. It's it it really brings it into a focus that no other movie about this subject has ever done. But I also I didn't love it, right? It 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 is so morose and so just plodding, you know? It, it just feels like, oh my god, these people are doing the most amazing thing in the world and they it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it compares to a movie like The Martian, right? Which is like, yeah, fuck yeah, science, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to solve these problems with math and everything. It's very like, it, it's not even like patriotic. It's like very inspirational in a way. And this is not. This is like, yeah, look at the costs, look at the lives uh, that it took to get you to the moon. Um, maybe some of this is in spoilers, but I really like uh, this movie definitely confronts people who are like, this is crazy. Why are you yeah. spending time doing this? There's a I kept very... Thinking- yeah, mm-hmm. I kept thinking that the whole movie. I'm like, this literally makes like astronauts look like insane people, yes, because, like crazy people. And there, yeah, you, like, yeah. there's a great Vonnegut clip of him like saying, "Yeah, we have so many problems here. What are you doing going to the moon?" And there's a great Gil Scott Heron song that I think is, you know, just an insane song. You would not hear, you know, Whitey on the Moon on uh, Apollo 13 or something, right? right? Well, in anything, like I've never heard that perspective even expressed Mm -hmm. in cinema or anywhere really. I mean, growing up the age I'm, I grew up, this is all, you know, predates my birth. And so all you hear is the retrospective victory of it. You know, the, after we knew it worked, everybody loved it. Right. But leading up to it and people are dying and it's uncertain if we're going to even do it, let alone beat the Russians, let alone, you know, take care of all of the domestic issues that are happening at the same time. You never hear that perspective, or at least I haven't, of the fact that the country wasn't unified behind this this goal. You know, you always hear the famous JFK speech about, you know, we will take a man to the moon and return him safely to the earth. And this movie also has that speech. But hmm. you, you, you always hear that and you go, oh, everybody was unified behind that awesome, rousing goal. But that's not the case. And this movie actually, you know, acknowledges that and dramatizes that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into spoilers. I don't I mean this is history, so there's not too much to spoil it. <laughs> What's spoil the spoil? About it, but... Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, guys. So spoilers for first man uh let's start at the end i think the arrival on the moon certainly um we all have it indelibly marked in our minds from the perspective of the uh the news footage that we've all undoubtedly seen of uh, the first steps and and the quote i i know that <laughs> there is uh some debate over whether he said uh one small step for man mm-hmm. or one small step for a man Mm-hmm. which would be more grammatically correct. I've always hoped that that's actually what he said, but this movie makes no <laughs> no bones about that it's for man, uh, which makes no sense because man and mankind in that context is the same thing. Anyway, I digress. Uh, but I think the uh, I think the way we see that moment in this movie, especially in IMAX, but either way, it, it's filmed uh, in a very serene, beautiful, quiet way. Lindsay, what did you think of of the end of the actual arrival on the moon? Uh, yeah, I think kind of going back to your whole point about it being almost like a horror movie, it was chilling in a way because you're seeing it through his kind of mask, you know, seeing what it would actually feel like to be standing on the moon. And that's such a surreal thing. It's such a hard thing to wrap your head around, especially, you know, if you'd like totally think about the context of this, he's, they have no context for this. They don't know what it's going to look like. We've seen the pictures, they haven't. And so... I just can't imagine how frightening that would be. And especially with the lack of stars, which I know is kind of accurate to how you would see it on the moon. Um, And just this vastness of completely uncharted territory. It made me feel spooked out, (laughs) to be honest. Also the silence, right? Like when that happened, I feel like the entire audience, uh, I was in a mostly full IMAX screening and yeah, nobody, you couldn't hear, you could hear people breathe basically, basically it was so quiet. And so like, yeah, that's that's good sound design too for a movie to go from like extremely loud at points to absolute silence and experiencing an alien world, getting like its diegetic sound, I guess, from from another you know uh, place off the planet, and you wouldn't hear anything. It's just terrifying in a way. Also, I love that it doesn't cut back and forth to footage from yeah. Earth because yeah. that's something that I think keeps you really in the moment. I kept thinking, I kept like expecting it to cut to like his wife or the control room and it never does. And that makes it feel even more tense, I think, because you're just fully in this moment with him. Yeah. And, and it it really takes its time. It just sort of still, and it does that big wild 360 pan around the, the moon and it lingers on his helmet. And we sort of see the stillness and slowness of everything. There's that wonderful shot of buzz, like hopping up and down in the distance. (laughs) And, (laughs) uh, you know, and he, approaches that crater and then has that wonderful thing, which I didn't take the time to actually look up. Is that, do we, did that really happen or is that a invention for dramatic? I was was trying uh, go ahead, Lindsay. I was going to say, yeah, I also didn't, I forgot to look it up, but I was wondering the same exact thing. I tried to look it up and could not find like any reference to it, but I know this is based on a recent biography and maybe he revealed something there. I didn't see that in any news reports. So I think it's more like, you know, a symbolic thing. Like he goes there and he like, you know, leaves this piece of his daughter behind too. It is a 
exquisite moment. And I think worth the whole film. I, I, I didn't really enjoy this movie very much. I mean, I, I appreciated it, but that moment made me grateful I had seen it. Like I just felt like a, such a catharsis and such a, a beauty in that, in that moment. Um, but a lot of the movie, it just felt drawn out and there are so many uh you know close-up shots of just being shaken all to hell and yeah, this loud yeah. banging and and you know from the test flights to the first you know a couple of missions to finally going to the moon it's like where we spend it seems like a half an hour of this movie just being shaken to death as an audience uh let alone as as, as the actors um I think that's, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, I think that's partly why maybe I connected with it a lot is because (laughs) I'm kind of a masochist. I like to be tortured a little bit with my films. I'm a big horror fan. Um, I don't like the super pleasant and easy experiences all the time with film. And so I really loved that this movie stripped back the schmaltz a little bit, you know, like you were saying before, there's not this like ode of patriotism or anything. It kind of is a brutal ride. But I like, I've never seen a biopic do that before. And yeah. I think just in general, like any biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just the uniqueness of this impressed me so much. And yeah, like just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, what did you yeah. think of his, his family life, the depictions of his family life? Did you think that there, it gave enough of a picture of that? Or do you think it gave short shrift to that? Did, how did you feel about Claire Foy and that? the the dynamic of the the wife i mean we see that a lot in these kinds of movies where it's the you know cut back to the wife watching the television or listening to the radio you know you get that that a lot but this movie kind of plays with that in a different way yeah i was really worried about that going in especially i'm very sensitive to how women are portrayed in film obviously um and i'm usually very bothered by those kind of thankless wife roles that are just kind of there to be like concerned and cut to so i was actually kind of impressed with how uh, Damien Chazelle was able, well, and the screenwriters, I should say, were able mm-hmm. to make uh, her feel more like a human than I think a lot of the wives in these types of movies are. Because, you know, there is, it's history. So she is a wife. It is, you know, we do have to see her concern. Um, but I like that they kind of gave her some interiority. Like we see that she has friends and um, she's funny. And I feel like she's supportive of him in a way that's not naggy, because that's something I really hate sometimes. Like she does encourage him to go on the mission. She does encourage him uh, to do things. The only thing she's upset about is that he's not connecting with his kids, that he's closed off from her, which is more human to me than just being like, how dare you go off on this and and whatever. I thought Claire Foy brought a lot of gravity to that. And I I was impressed that I felt that way because I normally wouldn't. (laughs) I think they did a good job with her. When you... Go ahead, Go ahead. Danger, sorry. Well, it feels like a lot of that is in the script, but also so much of it is Clairefoy and just yes. her her presence. Like she has as as strong as like somebody playing Neil Armstrong has to be because that guy goes to the moon. I feel like, yeah, yeah, the spouse of that person has to be just as strong to be like, okay, every day I'm sending, you know, the person I love off to do this thing and they could die at any moment. But in if, a lot of ways, yeah. she's stronger because she says to him yeah. at times, I'm carrying our family. Like, mm-hmm. you're not there for us emotionally. Um, so I just like to see the juxtaposition of their strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned her friends, it reminded me of uh, another scene that really brought home that horror vibe to me. Uh, the, the scene when her her friend uh, is standing in front of the trunk of their car after having yes. just lost her husband. 
and you see her like approach from behind. I'm like, that is straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. You know, that, that moment of just like, what, what, what's going to be on this woman's face? What's in the trunk? You know, like some horrible thing is in the trunk. And of course the movie doesn't go there, but it certainly plays it like that. It's almost more horrifying that she's just fine or, you know, kind of, seems okay it's you know that's even more eerie than if she was crying the idea i got is that she is just like completely zoned out so horror is the horror is like the exact thing right this is the horror of everyday life where you could lose your child you could lose your spouse like in an instant and yeah then dealing how do you process that especially in an era where yeah they they probably didn't have readily available therapy and culturally it's all about you know suppressing your emotions and digging them way down uh yeah that that seems like an appropriate response almost zombie like in that way it was also this movie was kind of the first time i ever really thought about how being an astronaut and being an astronaut's wife is kind of like being an army wife you know mm-hmm, you're surrounded mm-hmm. by death constantly and you're surrounded by the possibility that your loved one isn't going to come back that your family won't be okay um which you know is obviously very obvious i just had never really thought about it like that until this right yeah this movie really goes to places that these these movies don't the movies about this subject matter don't and it's it's interesting but you know there's that also that scene uh at the press conference where you know they're like what do you what would you bring to the moon and buzz is like i'll handle this my wife wants me to bring jewelry and he's like working the crowd and having a great old time and they're like okay well neil what would you bring he's like more fuel you know it's like (laughs) like it, it is such a perfect encapsulization of his personality his who that character is but also I don't know if I want to spend two and a half hours with that character, you know? Want to have a beer with this guy, yeah. Yeah, the guy's a wet blanket, and the whole movie is such a wet blanket on something that – I mean, I'm a kind of a NASA nerd. I get mm-hmm. off on on that kind of thing, and uh, I love these movies. I mean, Apollo 13 is one of my favorite movies. I love the right stuff. Um, I love NASA documentaries and stuff like that, and this movie forced me to re – you know, reconceptualize some of that stuff mm-hmm. and recontextualize it. But, and, and I think, and I, for that, I, I admire the movie. It's an, an a laudable goal and an in, incredible way to do that. But also it just, it just isn't any fun. It is such a, I, I keep saying the same words over and over, but it, you know, it, it, it really feels like this endurance test, you know? Yeah, I I found its interpretation of grief to be pretty profound. Like, I I absolutely hear what you're saying, that it's not a fun movie to be in, and, like, it's not fun to be around Neil Armstrong, but... And I don't need every movie to be fun. I don't don't mean that. I just, I found something really touching about, I mean, he seems earlier in the movie, when his daughter's still alive, to be slightly more upbeat. (laughs) Maybe not a lot more, but, you know, you see a different kind of dude. And then after her death that's when the kind of morose factor comes out. And I think, you know, that bottling up of emotions is really just so true. And so I recognized a lot of uh, that and, you know, people I know and things I've experienced. And um, I, especially it was interesting to me when he kind of boils over, you know, he suppresses so much that, you know, like that scene where he gets injured and his face is bleeding and he just kind of manically comes home and <laughs> won't respond to anyone. And it's like, yeah, it does. It boils over sometimes when you try to hide these things. Um, and just the scenes when he'll sneak away to cry or to, you know, gaze up at the sky or it's just, I found it really touching. Uh, and I wasn't expecting that from a movie like this. So yeah, that might have... Really- yeah, it really lives in that emotional place, as you as you said early on, um, and and you know that's 
interesting. I, I, again, I, I want to deal with this movie on its own terms because it's clearly set out to do something very specific and it's not fair to say, well, it doesn't do what other NASA movies do, but I did miss a little of that specificity in procedure and kind of revealing the steps that it takes to get to the moon. You know, we never really get any kind of understanding of what it took to do this. Right. I do agree with that. Go ahead. I was going to say, I do agree with that because for as long as this movie is, there were times where like when all of a sudden he's like doing math on the, ship and i'm just like wait what like, i don't know yeah. what that means or what this means at all like I, yeah there was kind of a lack of clarity of what they were doing all the time yeah. um and if you're not a space nerd like i don't know a lot of that stuff so i was lost in a few places sometimes that worked well though like i think like that moment where they're like spiraling away from uh that yeah. test bit thing and he's relying on like i think just like a dial on the screen and like just trying to figure out their you know their velocity and how they're going and how to reorient themselves I, I like those little bits, but I agree with you guys. Like, um, yeah, there, there's not much process here, but then again, I feel like, uh, you don't always need that. I think that's kind of how this is definitely a different type of a biopic. And it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs movie in that way. Like just taking yeah. the story of somebody's life and really capturing like the most emotionally heightened parts of it and trying to craft a narrative through that. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot going on there uh, to me at least. I think that's a great comparison. It, it really distills uh, not not even the most important parts of the life, but the parts that this movie happens to be obsessed with. You know, like, and I think that's the Steve Jobs thing as well. Is is that that movie was obsessed with this particular facet, and so built a, a narrative around that and left out a lot of important stuff. But that's okay because that's what that movie was trying to do. And this movie is definitely has a very specific thing to show. And it's an alternative to what, like I said, we've seen this story before. So I I guess that makes sense. It just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just didn't, it wasn't a particularly satisfying theatrical experience. And I, I, you know, I don't know. I was surprised it started with a gut punch in a way too, right? Like the death of the daughter just happens immediately. There's that shot of her on the, like, I guess that's like an old timey, you know, chemotherapy solution or just like a giant rocket pointed at her and just that yeah, image horrible device of some kind yes we don't <laughs> yes shooting radiation at her but what an what an inversion of an image right of him like taking the rocket to the moon and her having this giant thing pointing at this tiny girl i it, like that kind of hit me real hard that's yeah. a, a powerful uh yeah good good point to make because uh i didn't even realize that but you're so right that's exactly what it was Something else. Oh, sorry, didn't mean that. <laughs> I was just say something else. Um, this is like kind of wildly off topic, but um, I was also really kind of impressed with this cast and how many familiar faces just popped up super randomly <laughs> throughout it. Um, like Ethan Embry just suddenly being there, and yeah, uh, Lucas Haas and Corey Stoll. We all yeah, love them all. Fugit. It was just kind of like a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time in anything, and um. I don't know. I I was really kind of into that. <laughs> like when big sprawling casts kind of shove in the little guys. <laughs> and also the most like Kyle Chandlerist of roles. Like yes. <laughs> we we need Kyle Chandler for this for this guy. Uh, let's just oh yeah, Kyle Chandler. Yeah, that's he's a he's a Kyle Chandler type. You know, yeah. it's uh yeah. We need a coach for these astronauts. <laughs> Who's totally. the best coach? 
Yeah. Exactly. I also didn't recognize Christopher Abbott, who's an actor I really like. Um, and he does kind of like a face contortion almost here where he kind of just like holds his lips differently to the like point that I did not recognize him until like halfway through the movie. Hmm. Um, he played Dave Scott. So like you see his eyes a lot, but, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah just huh. a good cast all around. Um, we haven't really talked about Ryan Gosling. Uh, what, what were you guys' feelings about I mean, this is a same team that did La La Land, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're far from the shallows now, you know? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't do that, Jeff. Like, I, I'm just getting that song out of my head. Um, I, it's astounding, like, how much we're watching Gosling mature. I think he's always been a great actor. But, you know, between this and between, like, Blade Runner and, and even La La Land, like, it's a lot of range, but also, like, he's just really... I don't know, sharpening himself into being like a tremendous actor, I think. Yeah, I agree. I've always been, I've been a big Ryan Gosling fan since the Mickey Mouse Club days. Um, so <laughs> oh yeah, you go way back. That's yeah, the so hipster far. Ryan Gosling club. <laughs> Actually, Young Hercules would be my hipster oh, yes, uh, Ryan Gosling yes. childhood project, which I also loved. But um, I've like really enjoyed watching his career progress. And I know he gets kind of like, maybe accused of playing the stoic guy too often. But I, you know, if you've seen him in anything that's not this, if you've seen him in like blue Valentine or, you know, um, even the nice guys, like, you know, he has that range. So that's, what's almost more impressive is that he kind of mutes it and uses it in different ways when he plays characters like this. So um, I think he just can convey a lot with even just his physicality, the way he holds himself, the things he doesn't say. So I was really impressed with him here, but I pretty much consistently am. It's his whole post-drive career, right? Like that's that yeah. was kind of the thing that launched him back into a certain type of dramatic role. And this kind of fits into that, but also I think it's so much deeper too. I also I know agree. he's the, the father of two young daughters uh, in real life, which I'm sure, you know, not to bring his personal life into it, but I couldn't help but think of that a lot while watching this and how hard some of that stuff must have kind of been the emotional places you'd have to get into um yeah i mean it was hard hard watching it uh yeah. so i can only imagine performing it um yeah i thought he was great and um you know this movie is it did not open well and i don't know why that would be it feels like it it had all the makings of a movie that would that would do very well i i you know, I can understand why word of mouth may not have been great. It's not like a, you know, right. rush out and see first man. You're going to run not out. The Martian. And the Martian right. was a huge, right? Yeah. I think it had that kind of initial controversy, which honestly might've scared away the sort of patriotic yeah. folks who would normally line up for something like this. I mean, sure. I don't I know how much that contributes, but yeah, I only know that controversy tangentially. I haven't looked into like how this all started, but what a, what a dumbass thing. Like yeah, that's, I, think, I guess that's where we are as a culture now. And some politicians yeah. like Marco Rubio and some other people kind of, of course, were the ones that, that brought it up. So I, I do think that that does, you know, play a, maybe a little bit of a factor. And I also think the movie is really long. So mm-hmm, that scares mm-hmm. people away too. I think even from the trailers, you could tell like it's, uh, it, you could tell like it wasn't like a normal space movie. And it yeah. seemed, it almost seemed like this is like almost like after school, specially in a way, the way it was initially being marketed. Um, There are some amazing shots in those early trailers, but there was nothing like super exciting about like what this movie was going to be. And I don't, yeah, maybe people, people just aren't super into hearing about Neil Armstrong's life either at this point. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's a lot going on here, but we were talking about Gosling. I do want to talk about Claire Foy and just where her career is going. Cause she is everywhere now. It's kind of fantastic. 
Um, I didn't care for them to like bring back the girl with the dragon tattoo series, but just looking like based on what we're seeing so far from that movie, uh, it, it, it doesn't look as good as the Fincher one, but I definitely want to see Claire Foy, like do some, you know, badass hacker stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She does look like a really cool choice for that part. Um, yeah. And she's yeah. great in this. She's, she seems so raw and, and, you know, it looks like she's like not wearing makeup and just feels very stripped down and, and open and, and raw. It's, it's quite a performance. Yeah. I also, this is like kind of a little nitpick, but I could tell her kind of queen dialect sneaking in there. Yeah, she almost talked, yeah. she almost talked like the queen if she had an American accent, if that makes sense, <laughs> and some of her mannerisms, which is no knock to her. It was probably intentional, but I mean, once you're the queen, you're always the queen, right? Yeah. I'm sure it's a hard role to shake too. So. <laughs> Um, I know we talked already uh, about the IMAX stuff, but I think it bears uh, talking about specifically here in spoilers. Uh, there is, you know, they they hold it and hold it and hold it and wait and wait and wait. And I was sitting there in that massive IMAX theater through Shouting, two open hours. Open the frame! Open the frame! Yeah, two hours going. Okay, when's this going to happen? We've we've been we've been in the upper atmosphere. We've been you know we've been in these really epic moments, these really crazy intense moments, and yet you haven't done it. You haven't done it. And of course, the the shot that does it is this incredible first person perspective of opening the hatch out onto the moon, and the camera literally goes through the passage and then opens up full frame. And I've never seen a movie as conscious of that moment as this one. You know, you see the the uh, the Batman movies and the, even the uh, Mission Impossible movies. They are aware of when to use it, and they'll pop in and pop out, and, and it'll have great effect. But this movie, like points at it and says we're doing we're bringing you into the IMAX moment right now and it's such a cool thing to do it's super cool did, did you either of you see Interstellar in IMAX yes yes, yes. I saw Interstellar in IMAX and almost threw up like a million times oh so. yeah yeah like I, I think <laughs> I, I like think this... that movie used the perspective maybe a little better, but uh-huh. it was also going deep space and do it, the, going to a wormhole. You know, it's very, yeah. very different. Right. Yeah. Right. This movie, this movie says, this is a tremendous moment. Here it is. You've stepped out. It, it, this is how it must have felt overwhelming, huge. You know, you are tiny. It's vast, but it also isn't kinetic or crazy it's just like look at how big this is and let's just sit here and soak it in and Mm -hmm. feel the immensity of the moment and i think that's a really kind of different way to use imax a lot of movies use imax to sort of you know heighten something that's already heightened and this is a a moment where it's just like we're just going to sit here and let it all soak into you while you're enveloped by this massive screen yeah 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 for sure Anyway, uh, I, I would highly recommend anybody, uh, if you have a chance, especially if you have an actual real IMAX screen in your, you know, general vicinity, it is worth, if you're going to see this movie, it is worth that moment for sure. That's quite, quite something. But, uh, first man, it sounds like Lindsay, you were the, the most high on it, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, just surprising to me. <laughs> it was, it <laughs> yeah. was not interesting. It was not on my radar, honestly, much at all, but <laughs> And Damien Chazelle, certainly a, a, a very interesting filmmaker at this point to, to follow up La La Land with this movie is such a crazy right turn. I think, I think he's certainly capable of, of uh, a really incredible career yeah. uh, going forward. Even there, if this there's movie so much great technical stuff here, right? From the way he shoots, like a lot of those launch sequences to, you know, there, there's a wonderful shot in the trailer. I forget if they even use it in the movie, but the shot of like 
the launch reflected in a window and Armstrong's face is right behind it. Like it's just a lot of, lots of beautiful stuff. So I love this guy as a craftsman and yeah, looking forward to seeing whatever he does next. I'll follow him forever. Yeah. I was really impressed by this. Cause it's just, I feel like all of, you know, whiplash and all land feel kind of of the same uh, DNA, but this felt so wildly different and it did make me really excited to see just what he's capable of. And the fact that he made this so sh- like soon after La La Land is yeah. kind of incredible. So yeah. Yeah, he's definitely incredibly talented. Maybe it was his just like rebound after like the La La Land controversy and the Oscar yeah, stuff. Like, like it's just like I, I gotta go put my yeah put my you know head into work or something to just distract myself from all that. Uh, have either of you seen Grand Piano? I have, I have not. I have not either, and I oh, am ashamed to admit that because it I is so much it. fun. It is. It is. It is so. It's a wild ride. I'll just say that. Like John Cusack has been making a lot of bad movies. But this is one where we're like, okay, I'm very grateful John Cusack is making this seemingly direct-to-DVD movie or something. Yeah, I need to check it out. I think it's on Shutter, streaming on Shutter. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Whiplash was my first uh, exposure to Chazelle, and I, I've I didn't you know I didn't love La La Land as much as others. I I liked it a lot, and I liked this a lot. I just didn't love it either. Um, but I every time I loved Whiplash, uh, and every time I'm exposed to his work, I, I admire it, and I'm so intrigued by his decisions. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to another home run like whiplash, uh, Most at least definitely. from my perspective. You, you know, like the through line from all these movies, by the way, is like bleeding for the thing you love. Yeah. And yeah. like that's, it is kind of interesting watching that and how that does connect to all these movies. And I guess it's, it's kind of how I assume like he, was probably stunned after the Oscar stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like leaking out into everything now. Also jazz connects all three of the movies. Jazz. <laughs> there wasn't much. Jazz, I don't know if there was any jazz in the movie, uh-huh. but I know Neil Armstrong was a jazz guy. Yes. So. Who, who was that? That was a tweet. Was that Brit? Or something? I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she like, uh, my roommate, Brit Hayes, she, uh, like learned that Neil Armstrong had a jazz band and she's like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Louis Armstrong. No, no, I think that is like I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Something jazz. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, that is our review of First Man. Uh, now let's switch gears and talk about a different film, and that one is Bad Times at the El Royale. First time at the El Royale. You have the option to stay in either California or Nevada. I always want to stay in the honeymoon suite, even though I'm not currently on my honeymoon. <laughs> what are you doing out here? I got a job singing in Reno tomorrow. Don't pay nothing, but uh, singing, singing. <laughs> this is not a place for a priest, Father. You shouldn't be here. All right, Bad Times at the El Royale is the new film from writer-director Drew Goddard. It has a star-studded cast. Uh, I'll read the description on IMDb. Seven strangers, each with a secret to bury, meet at Lake Tahoe's El Royale, a rundown hotel with a dark past. Over the course of one fateful night, everyone will have a last shot at redemption before everything goes to hell has jeff bridges uh dakota johnson uh, there's a it's a john ham chris hemsworth it's a massive list of people uh cynthia and uh, arivo is that how you spell, pronounce that yes. yeah she's amazing um Lindsay, tell me what you thought of bad times at the el royale 
Yeah, so I actually saw this movie at Fantastic Fest, which I think was one of the first times it even screened at all. Um, and it was funny because I don't know if you guys have been to Fantastic Fest, but they actually, um, you kind of are randomized like what theater you're in. So mm-hmm. I saw it, I sat alone. I didn't know anyone in my theater. And I had a blast with this movie. I was loving like every second of it. Um, it's really just like up my alley in terms. Of, I'm a huge Drew Goddard fan. Um, I love the cast. I just, I kind of liked how big and weird and ambitious it is. Um, so yeah, I was just having a blast. I clapped, I was laughing, I loved it. And then I came out of the theater and most people I talked to were pretty lukewarm about it, which was kind of an interesting conversation. Um, really? but yeah, it does so much that I love that I didn't even care. I was just like, well, whatever. I loved it. Um, yeah, I had a great time with this movie. I'm right there with you, Lindsay. Uh, I, I had so much fun with this movie, but, uh, Devendra, Mm-hmm. What what was your take? Are you are you on on the side of uh, loving it or or less so? Yeah, I'm not going to be a wet blanket here. This this movie is a blast, and I will say, all hail Drew Goddard! Like this guy, <laughs> I love this guy. Everything he does, I uh, loved Cabin in the Woods, but also like he is uh, also a, a, a leading force in The Good Place, which is one of the best shows on TV right now. Uh, you know, he was a big part of the Daredevil. I believe just the first season, but he was a big part of like what made that work. Um, he's touched so many things that I love. Alias. Oh, Lost. Man. Lost. Buffy. Yeah. Buffy, nice. Angel, like everything. He has been <laughs> everywhere and I love everything he does. And this movie just proves exactly why. Like it's such a smart genre piece that goes and like deconstructs part of that stuff too. We've seen so many like crime mysteries like this. Like it's, it's a little Cohen. It starts like a Cohen brothers thing. It gets a little Tarantino-esque, but then it totally becomes its own thing. There's so many like great virtuoso sequences um, of just singing or the characters, yeah. you know, just do. Oh, man. It's so it, it's rare that I walk out of a movie. And I just kind of want to walk right back in and experience it all over again. But I definitely want to do that for this. Yeah, I'm just going to heap the praise on uh, continue to heap the praise on this movie weaves a yarn, man. And uh, I you know, I, I advocate for being unsullied and not being exposed to any trailers for a movie. This movie, especially, um, if you haven't seen it, don't listen to our spoiler part of the, of the show. Don't watch any trailers, just go, know nothing, go in, let this movie mess with you and take you on a journey and unravel itself in such a fascinating fun cool way it messes with time it shows you things from different perspectives and all the while i was just on the edge of my seat lapping it up i have no idea where i'm headed uh and you're right it's a perfect analogy uh uh it is definitely that Cohen brothers and then it goes Tarantino and then it lands in its own place. And that place I think has more heart than either the Cohen brothers or Tarantino. Well, mm. Cohen brothers can have, have yeah, heart, but this yeah. movie has such heart to it. And it's such a, uh, for a movie that on the outside feels very, um, you know, middle fingers and guns and, and cool guys, you know, that very Tarantino esque feeling, and it feels like one of those movies that came out in the late 90s when everybody was trying to have their Tarantino moment. But this movie, I think, is deeper than most of those wannabes. This is not and the Boondock Saints. No, no, very much not. Uh, and it, it is beautiful and it actually has something to say. And it, it allows these characters to actually have heart and have 
a substance that you often don't find in these pulpy, you know, crime mystery type films. Um, I thought the performances were awesome. So good. Yeah. And and you're right about the music. I mean, it, it is this love letter to Motown and I have such a soft spot in my heart mm-hmm. for Motown. I love Motown. What a this soundtrack. Movie, yeah. yeah. This movie is just wall to wall, like Motown and just, it, it just it revels in the beauty and, and sort of, uh, uh, foot tapping joy of that music. Uh, but also kind of plays it counterpuntily to the, to the chaos and violence that's going on in the movie. It's, it's so smart. It's so fun. It goes to places you don't see coming. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. I think I Mm -hmm. I love this one. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really good time with it. Um, I think of someone that I was talking to at fantastic fest, I cannot remember who it is. So I'm sorry, but um, they made a really good comparison, which is not a spoiler, but it's kind of a good tease for what got me excited for it, where they said, if cabin in the woods is drew Goddard's Buffy, this is uh, his lost. So if you're not into lost, like that, don't let that scare you because I think mostly what he meant by that was that, you know, Buffy's kind of funny and a little bit more on the nose and a little bit more fun. And this movie's not, it, it is still fun, but it's a little more sprawling and it kind of gets into the nooks and crannies of storytelling. It has a lot more to say about life and just a lot of different things. So I thought that was kind of a fun comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love movies like this that have, they almost exist in this uh, heightened reality. I mean, Tarantino is the perfect example of that, but you know, things are a little weird and the characters are a little broadly drawn and a little theatrical. And uh, you know, the, the, the place, the El Royale is such a cartoon of, of, of a place and it has a weird history. And I, I love movies like that, the sort of, create their own universe that way. But this is even better than most because what it does with that universe is a, so interesting and B like actually is about something actually has something to say about human nature and these, these characters in specific, but all of us in general. And you don't often get that with these kinds of movies. I mean, for as much as I love Tarantino films, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a surface level cool. That's really fun, but doesn't, the substance isn't often there. Uh, it is sometimes, but it not is. as as often as as I'd like. Like I think Jackie Brown is his best written movie, and not enough people have seen it or love it and talk about like love to like Motown and classic music too. Like there's there's a lot going on in that movie. This actually feels like Drew Goddard's Jackie Brown, honestly, except yeah. more stylized and uh, you know. There's definitely the elements of Cabin in the Woods here, too, right? It's a group of people, a group of stereotypes coming together. There's a lot of voyeurism involved um, and, you know, them trying to deconstruct this crazy plot against them. And then it turns into something else completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I know it's kind of like a cliche sometimes to say that the the location is like a character. But in this case, the location is such a character. Yeah. It's like the character. It is, um, really. Yeah. And I love that. I like when the setting feels like you just know it like you could walk through it and you have such a sense of where things are located. Like you, the sense of place is just really strong here. Yeah. I mean, you could even do a sequel or prequel to this. That's just, you know, about something else happening at the El Royale, because Mm -hmm. there are still so many questions about that place that, you know, this is a TV series, honestly, just this crazy hotel. Yeah, totally. Backdoor pilot for El Royale, the, the, the series I'd be in, I'd be watching that. Me too. Yeah. Um, all right, it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers. Is there anything you guys wanted to mention before we head into a more detailed spoiler talk? 
No. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just great work from the entire cast all around. Like, I can't think of a weak link in this movie. Like, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. The music is incredible. Um, so well written, and there's so much like. There's so much like fan servicey stuff too, like everything involving Chris Hemsworth in this movie. I just feel like, um, uh, yeah, I'm sure many people were happy with all this. So yeah, bravo, Drew Goddard. You're I would say of- he's a he's a good actor, but in this particular role, seventy uh-huh. percent of the work is being done by his abs, by his abs <laughs> and uh, that little line like leading down. Yes. <laughs> also, yeah. the cast is like full of a lot of people I've never seen before who were like incredible mm-hmm. and blew me away, and I can't wait to see some of their careers kind of span a lot of young people. So that was exciting too. Yeah, Cynthia Erivo. Uh, uh, I I yeah. apologize, I keep messing that up. She's awesome i mean so just spectacular the voice the, you know i i went off uh, last week uh about lady gaga about how her voice um you know was so spectacular and mm-hmm. also you know her acting again second week in a row we have uh um, an actress who brings both that double threat and just you know wasn't cast because she has an amazing voice and wasn't cast because she's an amazing actor was cast because she has both of equal measure. You know, it's incredible. She, she's like a very famous Broadway singer. So, yeah, big time. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not familiar with her work, but she, boy, I will be now, man. She, yes. she's, she's also in widows away. this year. Oh so man, I cannot big, wait. Yeah. yeah. It's a big year for her, which I can't wait to see where she goes next. Yeah. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, time to talk spoilers for Bad Times at the El Royale and what spoilers they are. My goodness. Again, I will say, you heard the spoiler warning. You heard the 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 music that warns you of the spoilers. This movie should not be spoiled. Don't let it don't don't ruin this cool experience of seeing this movie unravel because it is it's something, man. So so you've been warned. But um, Lindsay, where do you want to start? Um, well, actually, going off of that, something that I wish I hadn't been spoiled for because I have seen the trailers um, and I kind of wish I hadn't seen an image of Chris Hemsworth uh, <laughs> in this movie before he shows up. It's because, also right there on the poster, too. Like, yeah, right he's on the poster. Side. I know it's, it was hard to miss, but um, just like when he kind of rolls in, I mean, you kind of see like a small snippet of him a little earlier in the film. But when he does roll in in the rain with his shirt off, it's just such a like incredible moment. And I feel like if they had almost saved that and not told us Chris Hemsworth was in this movie. That would have been yeah. just amazing. Like, he's uh, kind of, I like, like the Tarantino thing too, right? Where, yeah, uh, totally. And he's kind of obscured when you first see him. So mm-hmm. like, you might not have even recognized him in that first, but so it did feel almost like it was setting it up for this grand reveal, but I was like, I already knew about that. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. But when I you get Thor in your movie, that. you're like, ah, uh, you gotta sell it. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It's just kind of like, oh. but it's just I did not, not fair that he looks like he looks and also can act like he acts. He's yes. it's not, it's not fair. fair. And I, but I did not know, like, I didn't know anything about his character. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm really big into like Manson family mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it's something I write about a lot. So when I realized that he was basically playing Charles Manson, I was like, oh my god, yes, <laughs> this movie was made for me. Uh, I was just, I loved that. Charles Manson like, wishes he, uh, yes, yes, he had the yes. charisma of Chris Hemsworth, you know, <laughs> the looks, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that whole that whole act, uh, third act after he arrives and sort of just basically takes over the entire movie. 
uh, it's it's like this this movie, and then it becomes his movie for a little while, yeah. and uh, it's a cool thing. I mean, the movie takes its time. We're sitting in that room with those people for a really long time, but man, it's just edge of your seat stuff. It's it's so cool. You have no idea where it can go. Anybody feels like it can get whacked. I mean, the fact that that uh, John Hamm goes out the way he goes out, <laughs> like this movie yeah. shows you, you know, no one's safe. There's no star too big to you know, not to eliminate where, so it feels like anything can happen at any time, and it feels dangerous and fun and crazy all at the same time. It's it's a cool sequence. Um, let's talk about. I mean, I, I would even say the very first shot of this movie. Oh yeah, is, is I I like knew I was gonna like it. I knew yes. I was gonna <laughs> like the movie. You know. Just that static shot at the, in the in the hotel room with Nick Offerman like hiding money and doing some bad stuff and then getting shot down and it's all that static shot and I was just like okay this movie is confident it knows what it's gonna do I'm in man I want to know what's in that bag I want to know what the hell's going on I want to know it all yeah and turns out you were behind the mirror all along you yeah know? <laughs> yeah that's so cool yeah uh, and I want to know you know and the movie knows that I want to know and it meets out that information so patiently, so methodically. It makes me wait. It makes me salivate for it. It keeps dangling things and then cutting away and going up, you know, that, that moment where, um, oh, what's the character's name? Um, uh, Cynthia Rivo's character, Darlene, Darlene. Uh, Darlene yeah. where she smacks oh, Jeff man. Bridges with the front oh, pan or whatever. Perfect. So perfect moment. Yeah. It is what? so good. You're like, what movie is this? What's happening? It's when I so saw that at Fantastic Fest, the audience just burst into applause. Yeah. <laughs> that happened a few times with things that she does in this movie. She's just like kind of delivers those like crowd pleasing fuck yeah moments. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, the, the the idea of thinking that you're ahead of the characters or thinking one character is ahead of another and they're not, such cool twists and turns. The, um, the uh, the the reveal of um, the uh, bellhop's past. I mean, all of it is just so it's so over the top and so pulpy, and yet this movie makes it feel like oh, obviously, yes, this is exactly what should be happening right now. It's so yeah, good. that bellhop is um, Bill Pullman's son in real life, oh, which wow. I found later, wow. and he looks so much like him. I can't believe I didn't make the connection, but he's got that kind of similar, like sort of almost innocence to him kind of yeah. every man to him so that when he does get to do kind of violent shocking things it's almost more harrowing <laughs> to watch because you wouldn't expect this kid also when you see that he's kind of shooting up on drugs and i don't know he's just a, he was a really maybe my favorite part one of my favorite parts of the movie because he was just so fascinating to i me. mean the moment where she goes how many people have you killed and he goes 203 is maybe one of my favorite yeah. moments you know in movies like the the the, the 203 and you're like what what <laughs> what's been going on it, and this movie has those moments over and over and over of like the what's been going on what did i miss it's so dripping with style like all the rain stuff is so awesome the way the way they depict jeff bridges and his crew's uh robbery with those awesome half masks the like yeah you know, the opera masks <laughs> it's, everything is awesome in this movie yeah also, this is kind of similar to that where um, I was really kind of interested in the Dakota Johnson and her sister's storyline, just because I'm drawn to like sister things. But um, I think my favorite shot in the movie is when it 
um, her sister, I think is, I can't remember what she's holding. The younger one is holding something and it, the knife. it cuts. Yeah. The knife and it cuts kind of to the flashback and then right back to her holding the knife. And it's yeah. so, it just like gives me goosebumps. It was so well done. Yeah. She says something like, you know, you have to remember what she did and he's like, yeah. like what did she do? And then it cuts to her just like standing over the knife. It doesn't even tell you what she did, but you know, it's something no. terrible. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you think though that the Dakota Johnson storyline got a little short shrift? I think so. Yeah. I wanted a little more development with that one. Cause it was kind of the one that I was the most drawn to. Um, just because that one was also revealed kind of slowly. Like we first see her kidnapping this young girl or we think it's kidnapping the way that that was revealed, I think was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, then you realize, yeah, it's her sister. She's saving her from a cult. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have but, no idea. The movie leaves so much out. Like yeah. we don't know what that extraction process was like. Right. Uh, right. We don't know about John Hamm's job or purpose really. Right. You know, I kind of like that ambiguity though, because sometimes when a movie makes it too explicit, what it's trying to do, it gets a little annoying. So I like that it had the confidence that it was like, you know what, the audience can figure this out or they can kind of make of it what they want. Um, But I I do still agree that the Dakota Johnson thing was maybe, I think just the imbalance maybe with her character was a little more felt. Um, But I still enjoyed it a lot. (laughs) There's definitely the sense that I would have wanted this movie to be so much longer. Yeah. And maybe that would have killed the ride a little, but there's so much more going on. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, like, how tough this is as a movie to spoil. Um, you know, it's really a lot of little twists. I don't I, I don't think right. there's, like, a big overarching, uh, like, Shyamalan moment in this yeah. movie. It's just a lot of little things put together. It doesn't even feel as, like... Um, like in Cabin in the Woods, like once you realize what that movie is actually about and like the like, you know, old gods, you know, scope of it, this movie doesn't have that. And I kind of wish like maybe there was like a bigger point to it all as well. Yeah, the identity of what was really going on at the hotel, um, that was the one place I maybe could have used a little more clarification because I still wasn't totally positive. Yeah, yeah I think um, that the movie intentionally kind of leaves it all vague and yeah. unspecific, but I guess we're led to believe that – well, the biggest thing that the the movie makes us accept that we don't ever think about perhaps, but is that – all of these people happen to come there on the same day right. at the same time and no one yeah. else did, you know, but, yeah. uh, you know, evidently the hotel is some sort of, uh, blackmail factory, you know, that, right. that is there to create blackmail material. And we get what I think we're led to believe is one of the Kennedys on, on tape, yeah. uh, doing something right. bad. So I think John Hamm was there to destroy all of that, recording equipment but he seems to be surprised when he finds the camera so i don't know what a right. by the way what a great sequence where he's on the phone to his daughter he's like oh, i'm just gonna start dismantling this phone what's yeah. he doing he finds one microphone he's like oh he's not surprised and what a what an intro it was like oh he expected it to be there and then he finds another one and then he starts laying them out like wordlessly explaining everything that's happening there yeah i love i love how the camera in this this movie they, they do long takes and the camera will slowly reveal things. There's that mm-hmm. magical scene where he finds the corridor in the back and he's walking along and he turns the audio on and we see like each room, there's something crazy going on. It reminded me of uh, four rooms, you know, that old. Yes. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like the camera is just sort of deliberately showing us things and not showing us things. And then he leaves frame and we don't know where he's going and he comes back and we stay on certain things. We don't know what anybody is doing in any of these rooms, but we know it's all disturbing. And there's a lot of stuff like that. Like even the first appearance 
of uh, of the the hotel at all. When we see the the car come in and the 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 camera tracks along with the car and then comes out and sees the El Royale sign and then comes in back in on the car and then we see Jeff Bridges just standing there looking up at the building, you know, strangely. All of it is messing with your expectations. You never feel like you know where what's happening, and ever, but ever, nothing feels out of place. It all feels like possible in this world, you know. Yeah, you never know what character, how they're going to turn, or who they're going to end up being. Like you never, I never realized Jeff Bridges would be a good guy. <laughs> he right. Kind of just he was so shrouded in mystery that you had no idea. And that seems like going back to the hallway, the scene. I cannot remember. It just flew my mind what song Cynthia Rivo's character is singing, but that the scene when she's trying to camouflage that Ugh. Jeff Bridges is like digging up the money so with Dakota awesome. Johnson on the other thing. I was like about ready to puke during that. I was so <laughs> anxious because <laughs> it's just like played really, I don't know. And especially since we had just seen John Hamm get kind of murdered out of nowhere. I was like, I don't, anyone could die in this moment and I have no idea. Um, and what a cool idea. To, sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, what a cool idea to have the, uh, the shotgun blast kill two, well not kill, but like mm-hmm. hit two people, yeah, you know, it's yeah. such a, Ah, so so many cool ideas in this movie. I love. It. I mean, just the idea of having the like the stripe down the center of the hotel and one's floor, uh, yeah, Nevada, one's that. going. And <laughs> you it, could only drink on one side. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like none of it really matters for the story, but it it all just adds flavor and character and color, and it's it's so good. Yeah, definitely. It's also a movie. Um, I saw it. Like I said, at Fantastic Fest. I saw it during the. Uh, kind of after dr ford's testimony that during the kavanaugh thing and it played a lot of this played really strongly and really emotionally because of that you could just kind of feel it in the audience especially the scene where darlene tells uh chris hemsworth's character you know just shuts him down <laughs> tells him that what he's saying is uninteresting i mean people were just amazing it felt cathartic to like clap at that because it's just such an amazing takedown and she does it so brilliantly yeah, yeah. Uh, it is, it is yeah. truth to power in a such a rapier you know pinpointed devastating way of just knowing exactly what his weakness is yeah and who he is she sees him so clearly you know and you get that moment of her past where she's dealt with this her whole life you know she knows these men Mm -hmm. so good well i know drew goddard he said that he wrote this uh right after trump won and that it was kind of his way of processing that which i don't think is immediately evident when you watch this but is kind of like you and you see it in certain ways uh in certain strains like that for sure yeah. um yeah i'd almost I've, I've read that after seeing it i'd almost like to see it again yeah. just with that in mind i think thematically sure. it also shares a lot like with mandy as well especially that like truth to power moment mm-hmm. yeah this right, would make right. a fun double feature <laughs> it would very <laughs> colorful <laughs> very colorful indeed um yeah, and and I'm not even uh, you know I'm not a religious person. I don't I'm an atheist, but I, that moment of confession and uh, the gift that Jeff Bridges' character gives the bellboy to you know to let him believe that he's really a priest in that moment is it, it got me, man. I was I was emotional watching it. It's a beautiful, simple moment and. Uh, you don't find stuff like that in these kinds of movies. You know, that doesn't happen in these kinds of movies. It's, these movies are so preoccupied with being cool that they don't really ever make time for that kind of catharsis. And this movie does. And it's, it's, I think better for it. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I like stylized stuff. And like I said in the first band thing, I like being kind of tortured by movies sometimes. But I'm also kind of a big goober, like a lot. And I like those big emotions as well. And I agree. I think Drew Goddard has a really unique way of walking the line between um, what's cool and what's like actually heartfelt and what might move someone. Uh, And you see it in all of his work and the projects he's attached Mm -hmm. to. So yeah, this just feels like a big like love letter to genre and I don't know. I, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Um, and he's doing X-Force next. I forgot about that. And I, I've never cared about X-Force, but I will certainly be excited for a Drew Goddard X-Force movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I can't wait for that. Um, I, I think also, you know, contextualizing this in sort of a post Trumpian world, um, there's actually, some poignance to the to the lesson quote unquote uh that chris hemsworth is giving around the campfire you mm-hmm. know about like don't play their game don't right yeah. yeah it's a it's a twisted dark version and his methodology is certainly repugnant but there's like something to that you know he's like not wrong in a way you know uh, yeah. Don't play the game. Don't you know somebody forces you to to do right. this or do that or pick a side? Don't. And uh, and then learn to on, wield that power so that other people, yeah, follow you and do whatever you want, right? Yeah. yeah. But then we see Dakota Johnson try to not pick a color in the roulette wheel, and I was hoping she would stick to her guns. Yeah. Like I felt like that's the key is like don't pick a color, and then she ends up picking red, and of course didn't work out for her, but. um but we always yeah. know, always bet on black. I think we have, <laughs> Snipes told us that. I think um, something, yeah, that I was thinking about a lot when I first walked out of this movie is that I've noticed a big kind of uptick in stories that involve cults in some way and involve yeah. that kind of, that kind of thinking, especially post Trump. And, you know, what does that mean? And I think just a lot of people probably have this idea of wanting to search for meaning in something uh, because everything feels meaningless sometimes. And I think, that yeah this storyline of that really kind of it does it makes the cult of his what he's teaching them really attractive <laughs> because you know there's there's so much chaos in this the young girl's life uh ruth who plays the or that's the name of the younger sister yeah um it's just she's, latching on to someone yeah she's really disturbing i mean her her true believer you know to the point of letting yeah. her sister die you know to it's it is it's haunting, you know, that, that yeah. her, you know, complete devotion to him. She was really great. That actress I had never seen before, but yeah. she really stood out to me. And that moment where she leaps up and just starts swinging from the chandelier. Yeah. I, just, I loved that. Yeah. She's just got this goofy kind of airy dreaminess yeah. to her. That feels very true of like that era and of like a cult member. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love this movie. I love this. I could talk about it for an hour. I just want like every moment. I just want to eat it up. I mean, there Every moment of this movie just feels like you're you're seeing exactly what the filmmaker wanted you to see, and exactly how he wanted. You. It just feels like such a confident telling of this tale, the way it's laid out, the way the chapter markers. I mean, that's very Tarantino too to have that like sort of chapter marker thing, and and then sort of go back in time and see things from a different perspective and switch stuff around. I mean, it's very Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, its own identity as as you guys have said, it is it it doesn't feel like just a a copy of that it feels like it's found a new way to tackle it yeah and i think it kind of wears its like influences on its sleeve a little bit it's not coy about like the fact that it's definitely an ode to a certain type of movie mm-hmm. um 
but yeah, it has its own spin on it. And it just, it feels, it feels big and bold in a way a lot of those movies don't. And I like movies that kind of go for it <laughs> the way that this one does. Um, even if it might feel, I know a lot of the complaints have been that it's too long. Um, really? I feel like it's, wow. yeah, I feel like it's, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not someone who's really that bothered by long movies, but um, I guess I understand it. But in this case, yeah, I like we were talking before, I almost wish it was a TV show because there is so much more I would would love to see. Um, but then I don't need to. Like, I do think it leaves, you know, enough left to kind of enjoy. I think it's going to be a really fun movie to rewatch because oh, I'm definitely. sure there's a lot of a lot of little things that are probably hidden in there that you don't catch the first time. So, yeah, I, I like the idea that John Hamm is a, an undercover government agent who's plan to be undercover is to be the most ostentatious over the top <laughs> unforgettable fellow you've ever right. met in your life <laughs> you know he even but, drops his accent like when he's talking on the phone to his like family yeah he just sounds like a completely different person so it's like, you can see how much he's putting on it's yeah. funny it's like, it's like it's the idea of blending in his environment is completely uh antithetical to what he's doing he's just like right I'm going to be as unforgettable as possible, right. wear the most garish jacket, have the most crazy over-the-top accent. It's funny. Yeah. But, uh, man, what a great movie. And I love that Jeff Bridges does movies like this. I love that he's in for this. He's so good. Yeah. He's so, like every moment. I, I like to just watch his performance. I don't know. I'm just gushing about this movie, but it, I, I loved it. I loved it's definitely it. like Lindsay, you were saying, you can't wait to rewatch it. I felt that way, like about Kevin the Woods, right? That was a movie I yeah. watched a lot, a lot, like once I was able to own it. And this feels just like that for me. And that's, uh, you know, that's a talent. And I just go look at like how much of what I'm watching now has like Drew Goddard's touch to it as well. Uh, are either of you watching The Good Place, by the way? I've only seen the first season. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've also. I've also only seen the first season. It's one of those shows that I'm just like yeah. constantly behind on. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is certainly one of the best comedies on TV, but there's so much heart to it. And like, yeah, he like, I think like, you know, they're just really good at playing with rules. Uh, Goddard isn't like directly involved. I think he's a producer now, but he re he did the pilot. He had directed a couple episodes and just like that's sensibility. There's a lot of Cabin in the Woods in that idea and feels like there's a lot of that here. I wonder how that's going to affect like X-Force down the line. Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, the thing I loved about that first season is how you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, this was all. Mm -hmm. all there was and a then big they, plan then they here. keep doing it like, yeah. yeah, several times a season moving forward. It's insane. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited to catch up on that show. I have to I have to, but yeah. yeah, I've heard it's incredible. I I feel like I've talked a lot like a lot about my anxieties tonight. That's like one of those shows that makes me anxious in a way I can't really describe because sometimes uh, like it's death. about death. <laughs> yeah, it just makes me like feel like I have to be in the headspace of like being dead. <laughs> it's but, really uh, a show about living. Let me just I tell know. you. <laughs> well, the good news is if you have kids, you'll always be in the headspace of being right. dead because you're yeah. half dead walking oh, around like a zombie anyway. This right, is right. Very welcoming. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to this. By next episode, I will probably yeah. have. So yes, yeah, that's exciting. Yes, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm I'm so happy for you. Um, but also, uh, buckle in. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I'm trying my best to be ready. <laughs> awesome. Uh, any last thoughts on bad times at the El Royale? Uh, no, I, I think see it on the biggest screen, right? Like yeah. that, that. This is one of those movies that deserves that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it is a theatrical experience. And I think a one that we all highly recommend. So I uh, hope you guys get a chance to see that. 
And that's going to do it for this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Um, stay tuned to hear about what we will be reviewing next week. But uh, Lindsay Romain, thank you so much for being here. It's been a delight talking to you and hearing about all you know the various things that you're worried about. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I had a great time. Appreciate awesome. it. Well, tell people where they can keep up with you and your work online. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Lindsay Romain. Um, I write kind of all over the place. I've been doing a lot for Nerdist, um, Thrillist. I write for Slash Film uh, every week. And uh, also I just did a big piece for Vulture. So yeah, I'm kind of kind of all over, but I post everything on Twitter. So <laughs> Awesome. And Devendra, how about you? We probably won't uh, won't be hearing from you next week, but where can people keep up with you in the meantime? Oh, yeah. I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. I'm taking a month-long paternity leave uh, once the baby arrives, but I'll still be tweeting and like doing stuff. So you know, keep an eye out. I'm not sure how much I'm going to broadcast yet, but yeah, really looking forward to this whole adventure. Well... From all of us at your Slash Filmcast family, we uh, we wish you the best. And it's it's a magical, wonderful time. And we're so happy for you and your family. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also have a video game podcast. If you want to hear me talk about video games and the video game industry, you can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. The show is called DLC. And uh, we will be back next week uh, talking about appropriately enough halloween it's kind of confusing we're gonna be talking about halloween not halloween so if you're expecting us to talk about halloween we're gonna talk about halloween so yeah be sure you watch the right halloween not halloween halloween got it okay uh and that will be next week uh until then uh take care of yourselves and we'll see you next week This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Travers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wing cut. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.